Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Looking like him more so than my brothers. I never asked for that. I didn't want to look like a middle linebacker growing up, let me tell you. But looking like him more so and having people tell me that I have his smile and this and that and his work ethic and whatever else that I'm so lucky to have of his is so hard because it brings up so much more than you could ever talk about with someone on the street. Welcome to the 10th and final episode, at least for this season, of Absolutely Not, the podcast dedicated to debunking all things absolutely incorrect. I'm your host, Leanna Lupin. In recognition of both Suicide Prevention and Awareness Month and the fact that so many people have experienced loss this year, I wanted to do an episode with my friend Sydney. Sydney and I have been friends since we were 12 years old, and today we talk about the biggest tragedy of her life, which was the loss of her father, NFL superstar Junior Seau, to suicide in 2012. You will hear her incredible wisdom and honesty with regard to how she has dealt and continues to deal with that loss on a daily basis. That being said, please do be advised that this episode does contain a lot of discussion of suicide and loss, as well as a potentially triggering audio clip. It may not be suitable for all listeners. All right, let's dive in. Hi, Sydney. Thank you so much for joining me. Will you just go ahead and quickly introduce yourself and anything relevant you'd like to share with listeners? Yeah, no problem. Hi, guys. My name is Sydney Seau. I'm currently an associate manager for Disney and ESPN in their multi-platform marketing division based in Los Angeles. I'm an overly competitive, stubborn, sarcastic, and career-driven 27-year-old. I'm Dutch and Samoan, heterosexual single woman, just trying to figure out life alongside my dear friend, Leanna. Thank you for having me. (laughs) No news in seventh grade. It's been great thus far. But yeah, really excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, so we go we go way back. The origin of our friendship was Sydney was super cool in middle school and Leanna was super not cool in middle school. Awesome. And so I bribed her to be my friend and basically stalked her until she was willing to hang out with me. <laughs> and it worked because here we are. <laughs> she matched every single thing with her hairbands, her bracelets, her socks, her shoes. So that was just great. That's true. I I always forget about that. But like, I thought that my rebellion, my act of rebellion as a seventh grader was, oh, I'm being sent to a school where I have to wear a uniform. Fine. I'm going to wear these neon pink hoops from Tilly's and the matching neon headbands because I'm unique and I'm an individual. And that's, and and then I wonder why you didn't want to be friends with me. It was a a vibe that I had to adapt to. And I did. And here we are. (laughs) Oh man. Okay. All right, well, let's dive into it. Um, I think just, you know, to start off, it would be helpful for listeners who live under a rock or who just don't don't know who you are, or aren't from San Diego, I guess, um, to kind of get an overview of, you know, what happened, what you've been through. So if you don't mind, can you kind of walk us through the loss of your dad, um, what happened and whatever level of detail you feel comfortable sharing? Yeah, absolutely. And if you don't know who my father is, that is completely okay. First off, you don't have to live under a rock to not know who he was. But in my eyes, uh, my father was Junior Seau. Uh, he was and still is the light of my life. And growing up, he wasn't around as much as I would like him to be just because he his career was a professional football player. So he was traveling all the time. But um, one point of normalcy that I had when constant was that he loved me unconditionally and I him 
And it wasn't until I was about like 16 to 18 where I felt this divide where he was separating himself. He had retired from the NFL. And I thought that was going to be our new window of time to get to know each other on a new level and hang out and be the best friend that I know he could have been. And uh, sadly, on May 2nd of 2012, uh, that did not become my reality. Instead, he took his life by shooting himself in the chest in, um, in my room in his household in Oceanside. And um, that decision of his impacted the rest of my life and still impacts me today, along with the rest of my family, his friends, his fans. Um, it is a daily struggle, but suicide is something that I feel needs to be talked about from fam like friends and family that um, are going through it or may be involved with people that are silently suffering. So um, yeah, that's just a, a brief intro as yeah. to what happened, but that happened eight years ago now. So it's been eight years since his passing. And then another death. An apparent suicide by a powerful athlete. A beloved NFL star apparently took his own life today. Linebacker Junior Seau died today in an apparent suicide. Untimely death of our Junior Seau is provoking questions. As the news broke, the question emerged Did CTE play a part in Junior Seau's death? Here comes Seau. He had used his body and his head for 20 years in the NFL. I, yeah, I cannot believe it's been that much time. Um, I mean, my version of the story is completely irrelevant, but I will say um, we were coming up on our graduation from high school at yes. the time. And I remember like day of, I was sitting in religion class and I got a text, I want to say from like Kennedy. And I remember at the time I was like, I didn't understand. She texted me and she was like, like junior got shot or something. Yeah. But I, you know, I do remember being, being super confused and then seeing you and being twice as confused because you were calm. Um, and I think that's the next thing that I, you know, want to ask you about because we were 18 at the time. So like, how the hell did you navigate that incredible loss? And right on top of just you know, the, the loss of a parent in the first place, you were in the spotlight, right? Like it was in the news moments after. Um, so, so yeah, as an 18 year old, like what was going through your mind? How were you able to, to handle it? To give more context now that I'm thinking back at the memory itself, um, like you, I heard that he had been shot. So my first idea was, okay, which hospital, where can I drive? I have my other brother. I was like, let's go. And to then hear that he was gone was another level of bottle. Like just my body completely went numb and I shut down. I didn't even know I was screaming and on the floor until someone picked me up. And the first thing I thought of was where are my brothers? Where are my friends? Are they okay? Yeah. Because yeah when you hear something that is so unbelievable and inconceivable, you don't think about, in my personal experience, you don't think about you, you go into survival mode. So mm. 
he's gone. Where's everyone else? How are they? Are they going to survive this? Is my first thought. I know. I was about to say, I think that's you. I think that's also really um, at the core of who you are, you know, having known you for as long as I have and also being, you know, the older sister to to two younger brothers. Like that's just, that makes a lot of sense that you are immediately like, how's everybody else? That's just very typical of Sid. Thank you. That's very sweet of you. But no, I think I also was in complete uh, denial because I was so emotionally dependent on him. And I didn't know until that moment because growing up, uh, he was the backbone of of our family for sure. And so was my mom. But he, uh, we'll get to this later, I'm sure. But fathers and daughters have a different relationship. It's it's just the, the way it is. I don't know how to explain it. But um knowing that I lost my person in particular completely shattered my sense of reality and self. So it was like at 18, I'm about to go to USC where he went, his alma mater. The last time I saw him was on campus. I didn't even want to think about how I was going to deal with that for the next four years um, without him by my side and without this future that I had planned to the T because I am a control freak. I'm a Virgo. I mean, (laughs) it goes without saying. I just, I like to know everything and try my best to allow people to do what they have to do, but also know that I'm still in charge at some point. Um, So he took all that control away and um, being in the spotlight intensified not only me suppressing my emotions, but also putting on a mask as to how I thought I needed to look instead of how I actually felt, um, which yeah. didn't help at all. Yeah. So, so then I wonder, you know, what is something that you wish you could tell your 18 year old self? Oh, if I can go back to my 18 year old self, I would just say to myself, I would just say he loved you and he still loves you. Nothing that happened was ever your fault and you were always enough. Um, you couldn't control his mental state and the toll that chronic traumatic encephalopathy surfaced within his own brain. Um, your love is still enough and you may not you may not have him physically, but he will always be present in your life, regardless of if you know it now or not. And also to breathe. Panic attacks are not fun. Anxiety is not yeah. fun. And going into your own mental state and torturing yourself into modes of depression also is not something you should do Uh, I would just say breathe and talk talk to a therapist talk to professionals but also lean on your friends don't think that they don't want to be there for you and don't think they don't want to hear about your pain because if anything it helps them understand your process and your emotions more so so it'll only help if you talk about how you feel instead of putting on a face yeah, as your friend in that situation, I can I can vouch for that, right? Like seeing you grieve was was helpful in the sense that like I knew that you were processing. Like I, we would have been super freaked out if you had continued to be like, "I'm fine, it's fine." And there were moments where we were like, "Sydney," you know. Um, but I think it was when you broke down that we were able to be like, "Okay, we know where she's at," you know, and we know that she's processing this, and like we're you know we can do something here, and and you let us in to a certain extent. So I do think as your friend, like, that's kind of, that's what I have to say, right, it was, it was very helpful to see you, um, be willing to go through that, and be vulnerable enough to, like, let us in on that, yeah, um, I do wonder, you know, you touched on this a little bit, 
Um, but I feel like with, with suicide specifically, right? Like losing somebody unexpectedly is difficult no matter what. Losing somebody, even if you do expect it, is difficult, right? But I feel like there's just this like very particular thing that happens when you lose someone to suicide, which is where you go through all these like if onlys and what ifs in your mind. And again, you you know, you touch on this, but I I asked because I've had, you know, several friends who have lost parents and other close friends to suicide. And it seems to be a really natural reaction to run through all the factors and wonder, okay, if only I had done this, right, personally, or if only X, Y, and Z had not happened. So, you know, how did you and how do you deal with that? Because I'm sure that's a constant thing. Um, and especially with your dad, right? Like the intensity of, of his case is like it, in a lot of ways you could say, oh, it, it would have been preventable had he not played football or had he not played the position that he did or had the NFL, you know, dealt with things differently. So, so yeah. How do you, how do you deal with all those if onlys and what ifs? To be quite honest, uh, how do I deal with it? You don't. It depends on the day. If it's Father's Day, if it's the anniversary of his death, if it's my birthday, if it's Valentine's Day, there are a lot of triggering points where the if-onlys come up and I do have to deal with them again. But one thing that I can say is that the only thing that you can control is yourself. And that's the only thing that I have been able to control my whole life. I wasn't able to control his mental state and him going through a disease that was known within many avenues, but wasn't told to loved ones about. Um, but we're all human, right? So one thing I keep telling myself is that um, if we're all human, what ifs are always going to happen because we can always be better. We can always do better. But mental, like mentally torturing ourselves is never a healthy solution. Um, do I think I could have helped in more ways if I had known he had CTE earlier on? Absolutely. Will I get that chance? No. Sid here. You've heard me mention CTE a few times now. So I just wanted to give you all some more background and context. CTE stands for chronic traumatic encephalopathy. This is a neurodegenerative disease that is mostly associated with repetitive blows to the head or brain trauma. It has since been associated with football players and athletes that are involved in contact sports due to the subconcussive blows that one sustains throughout their careers. Uh, my dad was diagnosed with CTE after he passed away once they studied his brain following his autopsy. Knowing that he was suffering this way and in silence has been a very difficult topic for me, but getting back to the what if question. It's just never good to mentally torture yourself. Um, would I have been a factor in helping him? Maybe, but I don't know that. And that's not something that I can just bask on because it's never a chance I will get. And it's one thing using the past as something to build upon. It's another thing to use it to drag you down emotionally and drag you into a space where you're not going to be able to get out of. It takes time away from people that are here, that love you and that want to see you succeed and grow and evolve into a healthier mental human. And um, I think the what ifs and the if onlys are okay because we're human. We can't just say, no, you're not gonna feel this way on this day. No, you're not going to feel like you were the key that could have helped unlock a better future. I'm always going to feel that way. I take responsibility for things that are have never been my responsibility. That's part of who I am. But, um, but yeah, it's a, it's a daily struggle, so it depends. It depends yeah. on everyone's circumstance. 
Yeah. So you, again, kind of already answered this, but like, does it get easier, right? Like, has the healing process been linear? How does grief change with, with time? Do you feel the same intensity that you did in, in 2012? That is a very interesting question. Is it linear? Absolutely not. There you go. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, it, again, every individual has their own story, has their own love for the person that has passed. So you can't give one big stamp on everyone and generalize their experiences. But is it intense? It comes in waves for me personally. I, it could be me moving into my new apartment and wanting to know how he would help out. That shit sucks, but it's little things. It could be me getting a promotion. It could be me <laughs> hitting the curb with my car and being like, shit, I need to ask him something and having to remember, oh wait, it's been eight years and I still have to remind myself daily that I can't call him, which is so weird sorry yeah no that's okay I'm yeah yeah we love tears on podcasts they're really cute we do no we do not um I'm not cutting them. feel your feelings people I'm not saying don't feel your feelings anywho no it um to bring it all back for me it comes in waves and it can be just as intense as it was the first day it can be completely off my mind well actually it's never off my mind it could be a subcategory instead of yeah. the primary category in my mind, mm-hmm. but um, it's always felt. And that's something I think a lot of people that have endured loss and maybe not more so with the suicide, but maybe it's intensified in certain situations because of the fact that it was so abrupt and forcibly taken away from you without yeah. a, uh, any, any sort of warning that yeah. makes you trust life that much less. Yeah anything can happen so yeah I mean absolutely I'm consistently in awe of you um and don't know how you do it I don't know how people who have been through this level of loss do it and also I think you just going back to something you just said that proves who you are you put like hitting a curb and a promotion in the same category <laughs> you're like little things I'm like that's the most Sydney shit like that's no. just how that's just how you know ingrained excellence is for you that like a promotion is the same as like you know just something that you did while you were driving um I could get but a no, Dom but- juice and get really emotional. It doesn't matter. If I see anything that reminds me of him, we would yeah. have Dom juice dates all the time. I will get emotional. And yeah. that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really helpful for people to hear. I think people do um, kind of expect that, you know, we say time heals everything. And, you know, I certainly hope that that you feel better in general on a daily basis now than you did 10 years ago or almost 10 years ago. Um, but I think it is helpful to, to give yourself the grace to be like, well, you know, you're going to have days, you might have weeks, right? You might have just moments of, of that, that coming back or, or, or flaring up, I would say, because it's always there. Um, but that being said, like the expectation of moving on or of strength, I also think is really gendered. Uh, I think as women, like we're allowed to express our emotions a lot more freely. Um, we're expected to grieve a lot more. And you're the only girl, right? Like your dad had four kids and the other three are all all boys, men now, which is wild. Um, so kind of, I mean, you can only speak from your perspective, but kind of, you know, do you mind talking a little bit about how you think like the gendered expectations have played out for them and for you and in, in this process? 
Absolutely. I think one thing to just talk about is the fact that father-daughter relationships are so different than father-son relationships, right? So how I experienced my dad is completely different than how my brothers all experienced him in their, in their lives. And we're all such different ages too. It is so complicated. But when it comes to expressing emotions in particular, I have been given more free will and more allowance to vocalize and to be vulnerable. And so I don't think of being vulnerable as being weak though. And I think that's something that people don't hit on when it comes to men. Like just because you see them crying or break down doesn't mean they are fragile or breakable. Like that doesn't make sense to me. It never has, which is why I probably am the worst type of sister because I will pick and prod and force you into conversations that you don't (laughs) want to have because I know that this shit isn't easy. If I'm struggling, I can only imagine what it could be like to be a son in this. Yeah. Like not only are you carrying his name, I'm still carrying his name as well. Just letting you know. But even though like you're She's single. <laughs> yes, but if you marry me, I'm carrying my name too. So you better uh, you want to yeah, take mine, yeah. that's great, but that's another <laughs> conversation. Anyways, I just think it is so taboo and ridiculous that my brothers feel a sense of um of like imprisonment to their own emotions. Like if anything, letting that out and understanding yourself more so by the telling people that you love how you feel is such a growth, like a growth experience. And I think from what I can tell, I know some of my brothers are very silent. Uh, They don't like to talk about any of it, but they'll express their loss for him and their grieving process in different ways. Like I'll hear my dad's favorite songs on his playlist in the car. And I'm like, I know, you know, Mm -hmm. I know you love him too. And you're trying to show me or I'll see Instead of like me getting a tattoo, my brothers will have some of his jewelry or some of his watches or they'll go to some of his favorite spots. It's funny to see them grow into men though because all three of them have different aspects of my dad that I clearly remember that I don't even know if they notice. And Oh, interesting. Oh my gosh, it's so weird because I love them, all three of them individually, but when they do things that my dad used to do, it pisses me off. Because I'm like, that's not yours. Don't do that. Actually, that's how genetics work. I, I don't like it. I don't like it. Absolutely not. I'll say it again. Anyways, it's just <laughs> grief is is so different when it comes to men and women, especially like siblings that are that have lost a father figure, from what I can tell. And um, being a daddy's girl, I hate the word daddy first off, but like being my dad's daughter and um, looking like him more so than my brothers. I never asked for that. I didn't want to look like a middle linebacker growing up, let me tell you. But looking like him more so and having people tell me that I have his smile and this and that and his work ethic and whatever else that I'm so lucky to have of his is so hard because it brings up so much more than you could ever talk about with someone on the street. And because I apparently have this face that everyone's like, you look familiar. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about, sir. (laughs) Have a great day. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And I think there's even, I mean, there are lots of added layers in your situation, but the fact that this was in within the context of like football, right. And football being this like super masculine area 
Um, and so I do also wonder about that, right? Because I've seen it, right? I got, I, I, you know, I got the VIP treatment. I got to go with you for, for your dad's induction to the hall of fame. Um, and, and watch you just like schmooze with all these, uh, you know, really famous NFL players. Um, but I am curious, like about the NFL community, because, you know, we're perhaps not the biggest fans of the NFL and, and how they've handled, you know, knowing about CT, et cetera. But that aside, right, all of your dad's teammates, right, those were his, some of his closest friends, some, you know, tons of admirers. Um, so I can imagine that it was like overwhelming to hear from so many people. And I remember, you know, people constantly coming up to you and wanting to tell you stories about your dad. Did their, you know, concern ever feel fake or performative at the time? Or was it more, you know, heartwarming to hear from them and hear about other sides of your dad that maybe you never saw? I think there's different levels. So when it comes to fans coming up to me and talking about their experiences with my dad, I welcome that a thousand percent because you know what? They didn't know him personally, but for them to be impacted or, or affected in any sort of way for being entertained by the game that my dad did love, I can only respect that. Like, I was a fan at one point, too. Am I a fan now? Absolutely not. But it's just, they don't know what they're doing, right? They are a fan of the sport. They are a fan of a product that another industry is serving to them. And I can't fault them for that who I can fault is the industry that is serving that product as entertainment when it's affecting the mental well-being and mental state of the ones that are directly impacted in their families alongside them. So completely different thing. Do I get upset about talking about the NFL in general? Absolutely. Because I feel as though they protect the shield and not their players. And they'll only protect their players if it's because their PR representatives are saying like, Hey, the fans are with the players now. So let's make sure that we twist this. So that uh-huh. we're in front of it. That's the most mm-hmm. opportunistic and slimy way to go about things, and I can't stand it. So, that being said, how do you really feel? <laughs> oh, I love. We're gonna have to. We're gonna need another podcast to go into that. <laughs> to be honest. So we're going. We'll, we'll get back to that. When it comes to my dad's friends and previous teammates, and seeing them all in one place, it is so emotional. One because. I'm a human. I see them with their daughters and I see them with their families. And I'm like, yo, that could have been so much fun to see him interact with them. Cause it's one thing for me to make conversation and see their eyes drop and well up. And these like huge men that are being honored for so many different like accolades start to break down because they loved my dad that much. And they, they can't imagine life without them. And they can't imagine me living my life without him. Like that's another world of hurt for them to see some of them not be as quick as they once were I mean their speech is slurring or they are super forgetful or they lose train of thought quickly or you know you always see the physical things but because we now have this educational piece that we were missing when my dad was playing it makes me that much more aware of what could potentially happen to them. Maybe what they're going through, maybe they're because like you said, football is such a masculine sport where weakness is, is weakness and pain is also part of that weakness and being prideful and ego driven and being almost superhuman is the only way through it. And to see them carry this mask of um, masculinity in my eyes, just, 
hurts them even more and hurts their family more because they're not clearly communicating the pain that they may be feeling, even though they've lost so many others due to that pride and that lack. Yeah, it's wild. It's like they know they're looking you in your eyes, knowing what happened with your dad and maybe knowing that it's happening to them. Um, but it's like still unable to talk about it. It just, you know, that's just heartbreaking. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. Like, I feel like football players are expected to literally sacrifice themselves, right? Like, you know, your dad was top tier, but you know, so, so much of his draw, I think was just that like he gave 110% all the time. And that meant like physically as well. So, I mean, would you, I don't know. I, are there things, I don't know if we care about like the specifics of how you can, change football but like would you let your children someday play football or when people ask you you know I don't know if people ask you like hey so should people be playing football but like what are your thoughts on that (laughs) uh to be completely on brand would I let my sons play football absolutely not zero (laughs) percent chance no way in hell no no I can't say it any other way but no I can't imagine anyone faulting you for that either that's the thing. People will say that like, Oh, I understand that you wouldn't. And then I ask them the same question back and they're like, well, I think we would have to think about it. And I'm like, all right, well, I would love to have more conversations with you to understand why you would allow one of your loved ones have a potential chronic traumatic brain injury that could affect the rest of their lives and yours. But Again, it's so personal and I am so biased. So like, I am the last person you want to talk about if you want to talk about football. Because <laughs> I've seen the best things happen because they football gave my dad an opportunity, right? And without that opportunity, I don't know if I would even be here. I don't know if my dad would have met my mom. I don't know if he would have been as successful. I don't know if he would have found this passion that he that really drove his life for the years that he was here. But what I do now know is that I would have, personally, I would have rather had a father that was working minimum wage, um, not having any fame whatsoever, and me struggling every day to be with him and have him for another like 50, 40 years. That to me is happiness. Because if I had that person, I had everything. I don't need these things that people materialize and seek for. But again, that's my perspective. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Um, And I also wonder about, you know, the cultural aspect here, right? Like your dad comes from a Samoan family. I feel like he had a lot of pressure, right? From probably high school, if I'm not mistaken, to make it, right? To make it not just for himself, but for the people around him. And so like, where you can say, you know, I'd rather not have those things. And that's super valid and makes a whole lot of sense, right? It's, it's really tricky because I feel like it is tied to all of them and, you know, um, and, and him just being expected to like carry his whole family, right? Absolutely. I mean, for him to have gotten to the level of success that he had accomplished is remarkable and insane and great and um he was the chosen one at a very young age he was put so much pressure on but good pressure it was all out of love that his family wanted him to succeed and ensure that they were he was carrying on his legacy and his family name to the utmost potential and he did that um but yeah personally 
I know that love and time goes a lot further than any sort of yeah. money. Right. And the price was too high. Yeah. The price was way too high. There's never enough time with the people that you love. So it's a really difficult thing to talk about. For sure. I'm also curious, again, like I'm thinking back to circa 2012 and 13 and what I saw from just like being around. But I, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if you'd be willing to talk a little bit more about like the cultural implications, if, you know, cause you're only your dad's side of Samoan, right? Your mom is white. Um, so if there was any sort of like clash or anything within Samoan culture in dealing with grief that was at odds or that helped you, um, you know, or kind of how have you dealt with those two different cultures in, in this process? It's difficult to say. I mean, Samoan culture, I'm close to it because it represents half of who I am, but I, primarily grew up with my mom in a very white household. But from what I've learned throughout my life is that Samoan culture is all about the Lord, prayer, love, and family. And um, your family name means absolutely everything. And they're very prideful and very loving, very supportive, uh, and very passionate. And they pushed my father as much as they could in order for him to achieve his dreams, and he did that. And I think it's a different mentality because coming from an island and trying to be trying to succeed in the U.S. and achieve this American dream that seems impossible to achieve, and to get that is a different type of life than one that I grew up in. I was given everything because of the sacrifice that my dad went through and of course my my mom and my other family had struggles as well they're just a little bit different and um I can't speak for either side besides knowing that yeah cultures did clash many times um not because of lack of love but just subtle differences world world view yeah yeah world view for sure and um that's as much as I'll say about that though yeah, that's fair. Um, you know, what are some things that have been helpful coming from anyone, but specifically from friends, right? Either either at the time in 2012 or anytime since. And like what kind of advice do you have for people whose friends have experienced loss and particularly the loss of a parent, and even more particularly if you want the loss of a parent or a family member to suicide? What are the what are the do's um, that will be helpful? I think the do's are understand that everyone is different. Because even though you might know multiple people that have had parents that have passed away, you don't know what their relationship was like with their parent. You don't know if it was good or it was bad. You don't know if they have resentment or they're just dealing with this insane loss or if they might be relieved in this sort of stuff. You never know. And that's why I think the best thing that you and many of my friends did from 2012 and on is just listen. If you are able to hear someone and they're actually able to tell you something it's a very big step it's so much easier to be in your head and self-sabotage and go into like a depression than it is to face some of these emotions by opening up wounds and having people see them for themselves and articulate why they're so fresh or why they're healing or why something is going on I think the one thing that I've learned throughout this process is that when people listen to me or when they understand who I am through the years, like 
Silence isn't great for me. I don't like silence. I'm, I hate awkward silences in general, but I also just don't like silence from friends. I'm not saying that you need to check in on me all the time. Don't be annoying. But, <laughs> but read the room. Like, if you know your best friend, you know when they're being fake or they're just posting shit on social media to, like, have this facade that's not really them. You know when their parents' anniversary of their death is coming up. You know when holidays are coming up. You just, you understand that if they need space, you'll give them that. But it's such, it's such a, like, sporadic thing. And that's what emotions do. They bounce. They, like, right. they fall. They heighten. They do everything they want to do without you being able to control them. And yeah. I think just being completely open to being patient is a really big thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, let people fall on their face and let people yeah. make horrible decisions. I've made many. <laughs> ones we will not talk about. But, um, <laughs> but have them go through that with a supportive but still firm grip i'm not saying allow people to destruct and destroy themselves but allow them to fall enough where they know that they hurt themselves and be able to pick them up so that you're not positively reinforcing horrible habits but you're also being positive right it's it's a really hard thing to do but i think that's the biggest thing is just listen learn from what they're going through and um be present yeah yeah and again going back to that idea like don't expect it to be a linear process don't put the pressure on them you know um for sure and I can't believe we didn't talk about this sooner but I do think something really unique in the world that we live in is social media kind of like what role has that played for you because I feel like in a lot of ways it's super cathartic and and forges connection but I can also see where it would be really difficult to process a loss especially for you in the public eye but like what is what's what role has social media kind of like played for you that's what's so funny. I I post for my dad still. It's been eight years, and I enjoy posting about him. It brings me like this catharsis that you're talking about because I get to because I shared him the majority of my life already. I feel like opening up and sharing some of my like childhood moments or some of my favorite videos or anything else also helps other people who miss him too. And why would I keep that for myself? There are some personal things that are only for me, but it helps to see the support and it's the type of support that I would want to amplify because of his story, because of what he went through, because of things I'm going through that could potentially help other daughters who are seeing their fathers slightly fall into this. And, um, it helps me. I know like my brothers don't really post at all and they're totally fine with that too. And it's not me trying to glamorize like his fame and, push myself as like, I'm still relevant because I'm, I was related to so-and-so. That's not it for me. It's more of a celebration of the life that we shared together and the fact that he's still present to me. I hate thinking that people can forget him with everything that he did and with all the sacrifices that he's made. But every father has made sacrifices. Every father right. doesn't always have this fame. So it's not about that. It's about right. me being able to share what I can with people that did know him. But it is very true that he, you know, he touched the lives of so many people, right? Like you're, you're absolutely right. Anyone has a right to do that and to share memories that, that feel good to them and to receive support in any way that makes sense. But with your dad specifically, right? Like he, I think what comes up over and over is how incredibly charismatic he was and how many, you know, every single person that met him, right? Just right. 
and felt like they were a genuine friend. And so I think you're absolutely right that like in sharing that all these other people genuinely are benefiting from, from seeing him because he was such a, such a light in this world in your life and in the lives of others. Um, but it's really interesting because yeah, it's like, gee, it's not your responsibility to do that. Right. Um, but, but I'm glad that it's like, it feels like a positive for you and not, you know, a pressure that you're like beholden to this image. Um, I also, okay, I'm just thinking of this as well, and I don't know if we've ever, like, explicitly talked about it, but I am really curious about that tension, and by that tension, I mean, like, the public perception versus the truth, Um, because that's also something that, in every situation, especially with regard to suicide, right, there's so much taboo, people, you know, have different, like, varying levels of privacy, and, and you know, you know, a certain amount about somebody but when somebody commits suicide you're always like what didn't know what were the big secrets and then that's amplified times a bajillion in your situation so how have you like dealt or how at the time did you deal with that tension because you know people pass and we want to always honor them and say everything that was good but obviously things are not always good um yeah (laughs) I mean it's hard because when someone passes away the last thing you want to hear are the mistakes they've made because it has to be they have to be this perfect image this like martyr this you know everything to everyone and the thing is to me like he could do no wrong as his daughter like he made horrible decisions all the time yeah what dad doesn't and what human being doesn't make mistakes and I think that's why I don't see the negativity as like clashing per se it's it's an opinion right if I'm able to put positive things out there, people are allowed to put negative things out there too. Doesn't mean that they're fact. It does not mean that they are right. But it's hard. I think that's why we, as a family, decided to do a documentary to show everything. Because yeah. if you are only shown the good in someone, you won't be able to learn from the bad. And you won't be able mm-hmm. to identify how human he really was and how close to home he might be hit to other players to other people who are depressed to anyone that might need it and how yeah. we deal with that too so yeah of course I don't like the tension who who likes tension yeah but, but it's also so tricky because it's like so much of that feels private right like it's way easier to share all the good stuff you're way more willing to, to talk about all the ways that he was perfect but like you said it's also especially in this situation so important to be like here were the warning signs here were the things we saw here were the things we missed um and I don't know if you if I think you do personally feel a responsibility or at least a desire to help other people in this like very particular situation um but but it can't be easy for sure no, it's it's never easy, but I think it gives me some sense of hope that it could help. Like if anything, something I learned from him from a very young age is like, if you have anything, give it. Like if you have something, go for it. Like what you have is what you're willing to give. There's no in between. So the experiences that I have and the loss that I feel, other people are probably feeling too in silence. And I'm not saying like I'm holier than thou and like you need to listen to me and I'm preaching to you. Absolutely not. I'm literally just someone's daughter talking about my personal experience. And if you connect with it, great. If you don't, awesome. It's just there if you need it. And if I could be a hotline for every every retired football player or current football player that is going through something, I would post my number on a billboard to get <laughs> Cool. So uh, you already said, what are the things you should do? Kind of circling back. Um, you know, how to be helpful. What are some things you absolutely should not do? 
something people have done that have not been helpful for you, you know, either friends, family, strangers? I think the first one that I have to say that has happened the most is when people say everything happens for a reason. Mm. I can't, I can't even tell you how. I can see, I can see my like 18 year old self doing that, but I can, uh, yes. When someone is grieving, the last thing they want to hear is that their loss will only help them in the end. They, like, to think that a permanent part of their heart was ripped out forcibly without warning, and then someone putting a bandit on it and just saying, you know what, this will only make you stronger. Fuck that. No. Would I rather have my dad here right now? Is that even a question? Like, should you assume anything? Absolutely not. Of course things happen for reasons. But if someone takes their life, you do not want to understand that reason, that might, that clarity, that perspective that might hit me in the face 20 years down the line. Right now, I'm hurting. Right now, I'm sad. Right now, I'm angry. I'm upset. I want to crush everything in my path. The last thing I want to hear is some good-to-do person in my face like, don't worry, sweetie. Everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. not. Leave me alone, Karen. No. <laughs> Yeah, that's that. I mean, that's super real. Super that's valid. Fun. I'm still yeah. going though. Don't yeah, let's go. Uh, don't give pity. Like, just people that are suffering loss aren't wounded puppies on the side of the street. They're complex human beings trying to navigate a completely new way of life without someone that that they didn't think that they can live without. So everyone is different. I have some family members, like I said, that don't talk about my dad at all because it's too painful personally. I love talking about my dad, but the last thing I need is handouts. What you can do is listen, but don't give pity in this woe is me. When I saw people in the halls and see seeing their faces drop for the last, like the first three years of just hearing my last name, putting two and two together, and then treating me differently than everyone else sucked because it made me feel like I really am wounded and it makes me feel like a victim more so than a survivor of my process and what I'm going through. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I absolutely would not recommend saying time heals all wounds. I can't stand that. <laughs> I literally said it at the beginning of this episode. That's okay. That's in okay. quotes, in quotes. I don't, I, not, not that yeah. I necessarily believe it, but like that that's a thing that people say, especially with grief. It's in context, because let's think of it this way. Time helps heal most wounds, but it doesn't heal you. When you lose someone, or at least in my personal experience, you're forever wounded. You're forever slightly broken and tarnished. It depends on how you dress the wound and how you grow into it. You don't get... You don't get over it. You don't get past it. You slowly work through it. And you don't move past death. Like, you work on it daily. It's a new new constant that I have to battle every day. Time may give you a new perspective and more clarity and growth, but it it doesn't heal you. You have to do that on your own. And for somebody to stress something with, like, oh, it's been eight years. Like, you must be, like, fully recovered. What did I have? A paper cut? Like, I'm concerned. This is an emotional scar that is rehashed whenever it feels like it. Forever changed. And I'm working through that every day. Yeah, absolutely. 
think there are a lot of people right now experiencing loss because we're you know in the middle of a pandemic. What would you recommend people try to kind of move through it? Because you, you know, very are are very clear on it now that you've had the time and you've done the really hard work of processing and figuring things out for yourself. So, you know, what advice do you have for people who are who are just starting that that journey, that process? I think the first thing that I would do is just be present in general with everyone in your life because this world is ever-changing and so horrific right now. Um, I think the first line of advice I'd give is love the people that are in your life right now in general. Talk to your loved ones, lean on your family and friends. There's no such thing as being weak by communicating your feelings towards them. And it's so cliche, but you, you never know what could happen. And I've never regretted saying I love you to my friends and family ever. And um, I think just being completely present with who you have in your life and who you love unconditionally is a first step where like, if anything were to happen, knock on wood, you have that sense of like, I've loved them as much as I possibly can in the time that I've had. Um, when it comes to other practices, I journal a lot. It helps me like really see my growth and my mindset even toward like in 2012, I look at some of the things that I said that I would I don't feel now. And it shows me how I've evolved and how I have changed and adapted to certain situations that I thought I could never grow from. And um, that really helps. I, like I said earlier, therapy is so great. It is so great. You don't even have to have problems to go to therapy. You could just, yeah. you talk. It's so nice. You're paying them to listen to you. So to listen <laughs> intently. Just do it. Honestly, everyone should go to therapy. That's my personal opinion, but. At men, at men. <laughs> Women too, everyone, but at men especially, go. Please, men, listen up. The mind is a crazy, crazy bitch. And you, you gotta like figure it out, you know? <laughs> Anyways. Anyways, those are some of the things. Obviously, some people say exercise. I exercise when I want. I'm not the best at doing it now that I'm not an athlete, let me tell you. But that could be very helpful. But for me, I think just journaling, being present in the people that I love unconditionally and ensuring that they understand how much I love them gives me a sense of relief more so than anything else because I know I'm doing everything I possibly can. But yeah. Journal, go to therapy, and uh, talk to people you love. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you. Those are, I think, really great pieces of advice. Um, any other life-changing discoveries that you've made that you would want to share with people? I feel like you've covered it, but like... Uh, what I've learned in the last eight years that it's been since he's passed is that your love never goes away for that person. Uh, you change... Time will keep moving. Everyone in your life will keep evolving and you can't depend on others to keep your loved one's memory alive. That's completely on you. Uh, but it's really just being appreciative and grateful for the time that you do have with those people. Um, loss is something that we're all going to experience at some point in life. But I think having people that are, are worth losing really makes life that much more important and impactful for you. Mm. And, um, yeah, I think it's 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 such a blessing and a curse. Of course, like I said, you never have enough time with the ones that you love. But if you love them enough where a loss hurts, you also know that you love them adequately. So it's it's a hurt that I'm I'm willing to endure, knowing mm -hmm. that uh, 
I gave it my all. So, I don't know. And I also would just say, like, don't ever stop yourself from saying that you love people. I mean, like, I probably tell, like I said, I tell my family and friends probably too often that I love them. But um, no such thing. No such thing. Exactly. See, you're learning. No such thing. <laughs> no such thing as saying that you love someone. I don't. Probably don't say it to someone on a first date. Probably say it to people that you need to say it to. But um, <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on giving, and I just think life is way too unpredictable, and life also doesn't discriminate because of your background, class, finances, past, like your current predicament, it'll take from you when it wants. I'm so lucky to have you as a friend. You have so much knowledge. No, 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 no. It's oh, true. I'm just sitting here like in awe. I'm just like, wow, she just figured out this whole thing. She just figured out life. She's got it. And she's willing to share it. No, 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 no. Why is this not a word I would use for myself? I would just say, I... Shut up. I'm cutting this. You're wise. Okay. <laughs> But, but seriously, thank you, you know, for, for being willing to share all that and for sharing your labor, you know, you did all this really hard introspection and you're giving it away for free. Um, so that, that means a lot. That's pretty much all I have to ask you. I just, you know, wanted to see if there's anything else you want to add, anything you want to say to or about your dad, you know, if he were listening. Um, I would just say that I love him and I hope I'm making him proud and ensuring that his name and his memory is not only um, impacting our lives and our family, but also others that may need it and others that don't think they need it, but probably should listen anyway. Um, I just want to thank you for allowing me to be on this podcast and like even hearing me out. And I'm so blessed to even have had this opportunity with you. And I'm so proud of you for having this podcast. Oh, thank you so much. Love you. Love you, dude. Bye. Bye. I want to give another huge thank you to Sydney for being so open and vulnerable in this episode. I also wanted to very clearly dedicate this episode to Junior Seau, as well as to the parents and other loved ones that my friends and frankly all of my listeners have lost to suicide. I hope that this episode made really clear how important it is to lean on others. In this particularly dark time, I hope we can take comfort in knowing how universal grief is. As Sydney said, we should feel our feelings. Check out the resources in the show notes if you need help and or if you want to sponsor organizations doing incredible work in this area. On a larger note, thank you to everyone that has listened and contributed to Absolutely Not. If you made it through all 10 episodes, you are automatically my best friend, so please let me know. Shout out to my amazing guests, to Stewie Robertson for the artwork, to Sarah Knott for the vocals, and a very special thank you to Chris Sanchez and Deontay Singley for their unwavering support and willingness to give feedback seven trillion times on every episode. That's it. Ya estamos. Thank you for tuning in to Absolutely Not. Absolutely Not. <laughs>